You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is Emmy-nominated screenwriter, Writers Guild of America Award winner, and New York Times best-selling multi-book author, Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae's back with us. She'll uh, be talking to her a little bit about her latest book, The Litter of the Law. It's Rita Mae Brown and Sneaky Pie Brown. We can't forget Sneaky Pie, so we've got to find out what Sneaky Pie's up to as well. So it's going to be a fun show, exciting stuff, great book to talk about. So everybody hang tight. We're going to come right back after these messages. Talk to Rita Mae Brown. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and joining me now is author Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your latest book, The uh, Litter of the Law. You know, I had so much fun with this one because the finale is the Halloween hayride in Crozet. And I don't know about you, but I get the biggest charge out of Halloween anyway. So I just kind of let myself go. And the cat enjoyed it too, obviously. As far as she's concerned, I'm always in my Halloween mask, which I find very unsporting to say. But, you know, she's a cat. She has a lot of attitude. <laughs> no, that can't be a cat with attitude. I've never heard that before. Now, do they still have hay rides up in your neck of the woods, Rita Mae? You know, they do. And they're a lot of fun. And um, some of them are done in trucks, you know, and some of them are the traditional horse-drawn hayride. And for years, Crozet really did have uh, something similar to what's in this book, where it was used to raise funds. And you go on this hayride, and there's stuff to scare you as you're going along there and this and that. And I just thought, boy, it'd be fun to, be fun to remember that and put it, put it at the end of this book when, of course, the, the killer makes a final appearance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember the days I grew up in the Midwest, and uh, you know that was the best time of the year. I mean, it really was. Get a little bonfire, get the hay out, get the uh, trailer. We did it the old-fashioned way, where you had the tractor and a trailer, and you <laughs> around. Yep, and a little bit of a uh, little bit of spiked cider. Not that I ever partaked in that, but uh, I yeah. would think not. But my county is famous for its applejack. Ooh, now is that homemade applejack? What goes into that? It's cider, but it becomes alcoholic. Awesome. And now it's become the big thing in Manhattan. So the little brewery is making a fortune. Selling it to the socialites in Manhattan. Yeah, I know. And here, well, all we have to do is go around the corner and get a jug. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, do they, in Manhattan, do they put it in little martini glasses to make it look a little bit fancy? You know, I don't know, but it's almost worth the trip to see. It really <laughs> is. But um, there's not too much. There Actually, there is some drinking in this book, but you they do it before they go into the church because, of course, you can't drink in the church. But um, our killer is never drunk. He's always quite sober and uh, knows just how to get his victims. There you go. So what can people expect out of this book? What's uh, the little twist? Not to give away the whole story, but uh, are there some new interesting characters and new uh, scenes that are popping up? There is, but what's interesting in this book is what I uncovered while I was doing the research for it, which is something very specific to Virginia, which is we have 11 Indian tribes, and they want to be called tribes, and they have tribal culture, etc. But our people cannot be recognized by the federal government. They're recognized by our state government. But the federal government says, well, you know, you all have been here for so many centuries that you're all intermarried with the whites, so you really don't count anymore. Therefore, we don't have to recognize you and give you any funding for scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the tribes west of us, or particularly those west of the Mississippi, have no trouble at all. This isn't to say anybody has an easy life. Don't get me wrong. But the people here are really behind the eight ball. And the last seven governors, regardless of what party they're from, have asked the federal government to address this. And of course, what they do is they put a bill through Congress and say, yeah, let's look at this. And then they just put it in committee and there it dies. Well, they do that with a lot of stuff. It isn't just this. But it's pretty venal. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it just seems like they uh, make it up as they go along. You know, if, if well, they certainly have been lately, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, you really don't know what to do. I mean, I'm feeling like the scene of the real crime is at, is at, at the Capitol. It's not my books anymore. Nobody could write a mystery or a thriller as bad or as funny as what goes on up there. And I'm really wondering if Sneaky Pie shouldn't write a mystery in our nation's capital. Uh, I, th- I think you're on to something because we know she ran for president before. Yes. So she knows a little bit about the politics and about what's going on up there. But, yeah, I'm thinking some – and maybe even without mentioning certain names, kill off a few people. I know, I know. (laughs) And who could do it better than a cat? But what was so interesting as I was doing this, and, of course, having the best time in the world with Halloween, is how can something like this continue decade after decade? And if you've ever had any dealings with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they make it so difficult to prove – that you have any Indian blood. And so it is, I mean, the state of Virginia is particularly harmed by this, but I'm sure there are plenty of other people elsewhere who can't meet these criteria, which are, they're absurd. And part of it is what has been done over the centuries to the peoples that were here before the Europeans. They don't want to make it right. Well, they don't want to make a lot of things right, and it all comes down to money, really. Yeah, right, but if you if you read the book, it's pretty clear in there. But what's fun is how Harry stumbles on it, and then they begin to unravel this mystery, but they still can't find the killer. They think they know why it has happened, but they can't find this person, and that's the fun of it. And, of course, that's the great thing about the Halloween ending. You know the killer is in costume. Which one? Aha. And that's the nice twist behind it. So it's a fascinating book. Now, how did you and, uh, how did you and uh, Sneaky Pie come up with this one? You know, having a cat as a partner, you never know what goes through their mind. I just do what she tells me. But we have, and I'm sure you have it there too, people are just crazy. We have these contests with your pets in costume. So I had to go look at one of these shows. It was the funniest thing I ever saw. And I thought, you know, i got to find a way to really use Halloween. 
Yeah, I, I've noticed uh, with the uh, with our cats and, and our dogs too that uh, we won't hesitate to put them in outfits for the uh, for the holidays or for Halloween, you know, these particular holidays. But we also change them out every year. Where some children like get hand me down, you know, they use the same <laughs> outfits over and over. But our no, not with our cats and our dogs. I know you don't see any dog Batman now. But you did a couple of years ago. But the kids are still going out there in their Batman costumes. And the great thing about Halloween, of course, is it's not a religious holiday. So people can really frolic. I mean, it was a pagan holiday how many centuries ago. But you're not going to offend anyone, whereas people can sometimes be opposed to Christmas or Christmas decorations or whatever. Nobody's really opposed to Halloween. I would hope not, but uh, sometimes uh, people get intermingled their religion with their uh, with the festivities. I think so. I do see it from time to time, but they should. It's it's just all in fun. It's all in fun. It's time to get out there. Adults alike should be getting out there as well. And and I love it when I see a, a family with their children and they've got the uh, the dog or the cat, you know, right <laughs> right there, you know, in the stroller or walking beside them. I, I think it's I think it's great because our animals are our family, right? They are, and this this year I saw a lot of dogs with little fairy wings, and and I don't know what was going on. A lot of Tinker Bells, and I don't know if you've ever seen a bulldog as a Tinker Bell, but it, it's very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I'm going to have visions of that the entire day. I can see it now. So what's uh, Sneaky Pie up to uh, now, and what's she got planned for the future? Anything we can uh, tell the well, audience? Well, she's always writing. She loves to come up with ways to dispatch people, and um, I just do what she tells me. But this book, I mean, if you think about it, the corpses are really bizarre. And um, after this book, I said, okay, now you can't do that with the next one. It has to be sort of normal murders where, you know, the corpse is found with a bullet, not dressed, because the murderer dresses up his victims and uh, puts them about as though they're, they're Halloween displays. And, and that's a little creepy, you know, but it's also very funny the way he does it. I mean, this guy's a sick sense of humor. And, uh, and the, so then I wanted to do one, or she wanted to do one in the wintertime, uh, figuring out ways to disguise corpses in the winter. And my publisher said, no, you can't do that. Halloween was bizarre enough. You've got to wait a couple years before you do this again. <laughs> Oh, well, I thought that's what the world was about. We're fascinated by by murders and mysteries, and then the, the more you stretch it out there, the better off it is. You know, we always have been. I mean, think of the thousands of people that would go to public hangings. What, yeah. what is it? I mean, yeah. cats and dogs are not going to go watch another animal killed or watch another animal die. They certainly know the animal's dying, and they may even try to comfort it, but they don't watch it as theater. Human beings do. Yeah, we do. The public hangings, the stonings, the uh, burning of the witches, and all these public... And it goes way, 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 way back in time. It's always been that way. And then we think, okay, we're modern. We're past that now. We dispatch our criminals so that you can't see it, whatever. And, and it's supposedly humane. And then you go to a website or the internet and you see beheadings in the Mideast. It's really sick. Yeah, so it's another clue that we should follow the lead of our animals, because I think they got it down pat. Well, exactly. They're not sadistic. <laughs> That's right. They don't hold grudges. They don't have egos. They're not sadistic. I, I think you hit it spot on. So, uh, yeah, live a dog's life. Live a cat's life. I think that's the <laughs> key. <laughs> Especially one of your dogs. Oh, uh, you got that right. We're going to spoil all these critters. That's what it's my purpose. You know, I thought my purpose was here to get the message out and to help the animals, but I think my purpose is to get the meals in the bowls on time the way they like it. I think that's my purpose. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's mine, too. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and uh, continue our conversations with Rita Mae Brown and Sneaky Pie Brown, find out what else is going on in their world, and talk a little bit about writing in general. So everybody, hang tight. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are one of the only live shows on Pet Life Radio, and I'm here to answer your questions. You can call in at 877-385-8882, or you can drop me an email to drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and hopefully we'll see you here on Thursdays. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link. And uh, continue our conversation with New York Times bestselling multi-book author Rita Mae Brown and Sneaky Pie Brown. Now, Rita Mae, after our listeners read the book, The Litter of the Law, what do you hope they walk away with? After reading the book, well, first of all, what I always hope they'll walk away with, which is a respect, a renewed respect and love for animals, particularly their senses, which are far superior to. I hope they take a step back, whatever state they live in, and ask, why does this happen in our country? How do we allow a government to do such a thing, or in this case, not do such a thing? And maybe ask a few more hard questions. And right now it's difficult because our political process is polarized and really very shallow, unfortunately. But we've been there before. We can get through that, and we will. Sometimes I think it'll probably have to get worse before it gets better. But, but I have a lot of faith in the American public to finally be disgusted and do something about it. But what was so hard for me when I did, did the research with this and worked with a cat was recognizing that this is just year after year after year, ignoring the legitimate request of peoples who have been harmed by our government, who have been harmed by our way of life. We can't make it right. We can't change history. And if it had been reversed, if the tribal peoples had had advanced technology, possibly we would be on the short end of the stick. Unfortunately, history does seem to prove that over and over again. But nonetheless, we've come a long way in this country, and nobody should be set aside like that. And that's one of the things you see also, not that they're completely comparable, but the ways in which people abandon animals. In this respect, 
people have been abandoned and their culture has been ignored, if not destroyed. I mean, we tried to destroy it, but fortunately we didn't, not even here in Virginia, where they have been subject to our ways much longer, say, than Kansas, the tribal peoples. But we tend to just discard what we don't want to deal with or what we've conquered, so to speak. And, uh, and I think you have to take responsibility. And that includes animals. We didn't conquer them. We made a contract with them thousands and thousands of years ago. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. And every time you go to an SPCA, you see the contract was broken, but the human broke it. The animals never did. Yeah, it always amazes me. I'm working with animals, uh, running, uh, you know, being a president of a former uh, of a humane society, a former president of a humane society. You know, I have a lot of uh, firsthand experience with that. And animals are looking for the right and perfect forever home. I think the shelters and the rescues do a great job of finding those homes for them. But the expectations of the people, it's you know, often they bring an animal to their house and they fully expect that animal to know from day one what to do and how to do it in the manner that they wish. And if that doesn't happen in a timely fashion, then back to the shelter, back to the rescue. And it, that's breaking that contract. It's breaking that bond, that commitment that, that people have made with the animal that they're, they're bringing into their home. Well, and Tim, the people don't bother to learn the language of the animal. Dogs have a specific way of communicating. If you learn their way of communicating, they'll try to meet your needs much more quickly. You know, if you just whack it over the head or yell at it, we're going to be like a child. They're going to hide or they're going to get angry. It doesn't take great brains to figure that out. But some people just don't credit animals with intelligence or emotions, which, of course, they have. I mean, we, those of us that love them know that. I mean, the biggest lessons in my life I've learned from animals, not from people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it goes back to, once again, live a dog's life or a cat's life. Follow their lead because you're right. They, you know, they communicate. They're open and willing and they're honest. You know, they don't have any hidden agendas. They want to make us happy. They just need to understand what we need from them. And, of course, we need to better understand what they need from us. And it's more than goes more than uh, just your basic training, your basic food. It really is connecting with them at a, at a deeper level, opening yourself up to them. I bet your readers think of this, or your listeners. We are now so removed from nature. People walk around, and I call them downlookers, because their face is always down. They're looking at their devices. You know, they're, they're little handy. They have these tiny iPads now. Mm-hmm. You know all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they believe that before they believe the wind in their face. The animals in our life, there's nothing between them and nature, which is to say reality. They're much more realistic. They can make better decisions. They know what's coming. They don't need a weather report. They already know. We don't even look people in the face half the time anymore when we talk to them. How can we communicate with anything? Yeah, we're so uh, instant culture device driven. It's absolutely true. Uh, every day we uh, we take our dogs out for a walk at one of the local parks. We're really blessed here where we have all kinds of uh, county parks. Some are wooded, some are open. And these aren't just dog parks that are fenced in. These are actually places you can take a nice walk, nice hike. And what we try to do is we schedule it every afternoon at our lunch break. It's our time to spend with our dogs and get away from things, get in touch with nature. And we mix it up for them. We'll change parks every single day to keep them mentally stimulated and for the dogs and the dogs they just love it they love it to death uh, they look forward to it every single day they even if it's the same place we visited time and time again they enjoy it but during the, a recent walk uh, we were taken back in a wooded area came upon a couple approaching us we thought well this is nice they're taking a nice little walk both of them were on their phones one was talking one was texting 
So not only <laughs> I know. So not only were they a not bringing a, a critter along with them, which is a sacrilege in my book. You got to have a critter with you, but also they weren't spending time with each other, let alone spending time with nature. They were uh, still tuned into their uh, their devices. So you wonder how that relationship is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it oh, may go. It may go quite well. They may just sit in their own corners of the world, and uh, next thing you know, 50 years have gone by, and there you go. <laughs> you don't need a marriage counselor. You just need your iPad. I don't know. It is, it, it is kind of bizarre in a way, though. But you're, I think maybe your listeners will get a kick out of this. You know, I have a lot of hounds, and, and I hunt them, and we don't kill anything. We just chase things. And So yesterday was opening hunt. I can't take Sneaky Pie, which really gets her nose out of joint because she sees me getting all dressed up. And, you know, when your animals see you getting dressed up, they think something's exciting going on, and they want to go. They all run for the door to get in the car. Well, anyway, it was opening hunt, and we hunt on a Sunday, particularly during deer season. And I looked at everybody and I said, I know we're hunting on a Sunday, but I want everyone here to realize that your horses are good Christians because they forgive all your sins. And we should learn from them. <laughs> if you've ever seen somebody bouncing around on a horse, you know that horse is a saint. <laughs> exactly. You know? uh, it's funny. Exactly. Exactly. Now, you mentioned putting on the, the uh, attire for hunting. Describe to us what that outfit is because you go, correct me if I'm wrong, you go all out for this. I mean, you, you do, and once you get into formal hunting, you have to wear breeches and boots and high boots, and uh, some of them have tops on and some don't, depending on your status in the hunt. And uh, you wear a beautiful coat. You can wear a coat with tails, which is the most beautiful of all. It's called a shad belly, and then you have a beautiful stock tie and a, and a vest under the coat. And the stock tie is really very useful because you can bind a wound with it, or you know, if you break your shoulder, you can tie yourself up and keep going because, of course, you want to keep going. And uh, if you have the shad belly, you wear a top hat, which is so fabulous looking. You can wear a bowler. You can wear a, a hunt cap. But what's so interesting is the hounds know. When they see that formal attire, they know this is the opening of a Broadway show. And they just go higher than kites. It's such fun to watch. Yeah, because they treat it, and it goes back to animals recognize everything. They know the differences between when you're going out to feed them or going out for you know a non-formal hunt compared to your your full attire. And you know, this is serious business at this point. Well, Sneaky Pie knows the jewelry I have, which is not a lot, but what I have, I really love. And of course, some of it was mothers and grandmothers. That, you know, the Southern thing, mm. or maybe it's just all over America. You know, you get it from your grandparents and your great grandparents. And when she sees that come out, she knows this is important, and she should come along because there may be liver pate. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what's better than liver pate if you're a cat? Exactly. So it goes back to the food <laughs> once again, not really wanting to be with you. It's just if there's good liver pate available. <laughs> I know. We might be thinking about the champagne. She's a lot more practical. Fantastic. She, I mean, back to litter of the law. Actually, the two of us had a lot of fun on this book, I must say. Some of them are, are more fun than others. Not all books are the same, obviously, but both of I mean, I had the most fun with this darn book. And of course, going to all these Halloween parties with the dogs and cats, I don't think it gets any better than that. No, absolutely. A lot of fun for everybody. You uh, have a long series of books. I'm always fascinated by how you can keep everything so fresh and grounded and keep things focused and on track. It just amazes me. But the one thing I, I didn't know until I read this was your memoir, Animal Magnetism. You had a wonderful ah. quote in there. I love this. This was a uh, – let me quote this for you here. It's, uh, you said, while people give me the ideas for my stories, animals give me the energy. 
Now, I thought that was fascinating. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Now, don't be mad at me, but I sometimes find people very draining. <laughs> yes. I, I never find that with animals. They come to me because they love me. They don't really want anything from me. Okay, maybe liver pate. But really, they just want to be with me and to enjoy whatever it is we have to do that day. And the energy I draw from them is their joy in anything that happens. You have an old tennis ball. Your dog is thrilled. You go outside for a walk, and the cat hears a little field mouse, and it just makes her day, you know, or the birds are flying all around. The excitement of every single moment that's lived to the fullest with nothing between them and the other creatures or the event. We have so many layers between us and, again, reality that in, in some ways our senses are blunted. And what I love about being with them is everything is new, it's fresh, it's exciting, and we do it together. You know, it's, it's absolutely true. I, I wrote an article recently that was published, and it was, uh, the title was, What Life Lessons Have You Learned From Your Cat?, and in the article, it talks about the various life lessons that I've learned from my cats. And one of them in there is just the pure fascination of the simple things in life. They find a bug and they just stare at it, you know, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes they destroy it, but a lot of times they just stare at it and follow it along and think that's the most fascinating thing in the world. Or, or there's a mud puddle that shows up from a recent rain, and that's just fascinating how that mud puddle appeared. Whereas humans, you know, we just uh, you know, walk by the bug or worse to the bug, and the puddle, we try everything in the world we could uh, to avoid it instead of actually looking at the fact that, hey, this is unique. This doesn't always happen, and, and our cats uh, don't see it that way. They, they're always fascinated by every little thing. Aren't you often humbled by how logical your cats and dogs are? I'm humbled by them every single day, yeah. I am too, and they're problem solvers. I mean, they really get right to it, and, and often we sort of circle around it. You know, we get to the edges, or if it's too difficult, we find a reason why we can't solve it. And uh, I mean, for instance, if you take a box, you put a, a hole in it, and you, you put a little catnip mouse in there, or you put a little jack ball in there. Well, a cat can't get in it, but she wants that mouse or she wants that little ball. She will figure out a way to mm. get it out. You know, first she tries to reach in and it gets out. They'll often, they're so smart, they'll bat the sides of the box because they figure out it'll roll the ball a little bit. Finally, I mean, it can take them a half hour. They'll get the darn thing out of there. And you watch them try every possible variation, and they never give up. Yep. Whereas humans, we give up even before we get started a lot of times. We look at it and say, uh, I, I don't want to go there or uh, I can't possibly do that, so I'm just not going to do it at all. You know, and unfortunately, I'm afraid our school system actually dampens children's drive. Either they make it so easy for them they don't have to really learn anything or they just look at somebody and say, well, you know, you're not that bright. I mean, I, I don't. when I was in school, a lot of kids were put down by the teachers in, in one way or the other. And, you know, it was cruel. Yeah, we were, uh, even back in my day, it was uh, very segregated in the fact that, you know, you got assigned to a classroom in, say, elementary school, and they would decide who were more, the more advanced students, the ones that could read and write and get the arithmetic problems at a much faster pace, and which ones were slower. But instead of dividing them up into two different teachers, 
to let, allow the children to go at their own pace, they just basically separated the room. So I remember there were, you know, some of the kids would be on one side of the room, the others would be on the other, and uh, they'd all have to sort of learn the same material, but they sort of said, okay, you're the ones that can't learn as quickly, you're the ones that can, so we're going to actually give you separate homework, those of you that can grasp this a little quicker, and we're going to keep you busy with that. The others, well, we'll just sort of let them do their thing. And I remember that back, back in my day, which has been a little while ago. <laughs> Mine's longer than yours. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because if, if you have foxhounds or any group of dogs, they learn at different rates of speed, just as do humans. And it's fascinating to see who can do what when they're puppies. And what I do is the ones that learn quickly, you have to be careful because they can learn bad habits just as quickly as they can learn good ones. Their lessons are short, and then I put them in their kennels. And then the ones that are a little slower, I just take them out and play with them longer. You know, the more they're together, the happier they are. They'll get the lesson. It just takes longer. And I often think that's what we should do with children is don't bang it into their head. I mean, yes, some things you have to memorize. You've got to memorize your multiplication tables. There's no way around it. But maybe you can make it fun. Maybe you can make a rhyme out of it, you know, instead of always just making this some kind of terrible chore. Yeah, because it's a it's a progressive thing, as you know. As we go through the stages, the different grade levels of uh, of school, you know, if you get caught behind early on, you'll never catch up. That tends to be the way, and and thus, you know, children will give up, and they just expect that they're not going to ever grasp it. So why bother? That's true, and we have a lot of kids that don't graduate uh, here in Virginia. I mean, even though this is a, a very advanced state on many levels. Uh, we still have a lot of kids that don't get through. And all of those kids that were in the tobacco-growing areas are in real trouble. The schools are not good. They're failing, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's probably true in parts of Kentucky and Tennessee mm-hmm. and elsewhere because when tobacco was demonized and, you know, the industry essentially destroyed, all those jobs were lost. And uh, it, it, it's kind of a mess. But you you can see that, too, when you go to the SPCA. You can see the animal that was considered stupid and pushed aside, and if you just take him out for a walk and sit and talk with him or her, it's amazing how they look at you and then they want to learn, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same with children. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a case at our rescue where we had one of the dogs that was a little bit more temperamental, didn't really care to have a lot of activity around him. They were wanting to put him into the run, the furthest area, which rarely ever got visited. And we were having a hard time to adopt him, so I had made a suggestion to move him towards the front. He should be the first one. And amazingly enough, not only did people recognize he was there, but he felt special. He felt, wow, you know, I'm not being delegated to the the back of the runs. I'm actually front part. (laughs) And uh, within a week, we got him adopted out. That's pretty great. Yeah. So you got to build up, you know, they, animals have self-esteem just like us humans, you know, and just like our children. So we got to build that up early and often and let them know that they're, they're good boys and girls, they're good puppies and kitties and, uh, still that positive energy on them. And you'll see them, um, you'll see them shine at that point. Well, they do. And I have two cats with self-esteem asleep on, well, not quite asleep on the bed, Sneaky Pie and, and Pewter. Well, in the book, Sneaky Pie's Mrs. Murphy. Pewter wants you to believe she's done everything. But my co-author really wants you to know that she hasn't moved her fat butt in 15 years. I'm thinking maybe too much liver pate. <laughs> I don't know. But, but I think we have a little self-esteem problem right here under the roof. <laughs> it comes out in this book quite a bit, actually. There you, there you go. Fantastic. Well, where can our listeners find out more about, about you and Sneaky Pie and definitely pick up a copy of The Litter of the Law? 
Yeah, we're and looking. Now, hopefully, they'll go to Barnes and Noble and get a real book and hold it in their hands. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be good. So pick up a real <laughs> book. That would be good. So yeah, it's available at uh, at all your major retailers as well as online, and everybody pick up a copy. It's fantastic. And they're a great job, Don Rita May and Sneaky Pie. Uh, everybody pick up a copy of The Litter of the Law. And holidays are right around the corner too, so pick up two or three copies. That'd be good. Well, and the illustrations are great. Yeah, it's, you did a great job with it, as usual. It's a fantastic read and uh, always a lot of fun. Always a lot of fun hearing what you guys are, are doing. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show and um, always the best wishes to you. Well, we always have fun and thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show tonight. Today, it's uh, Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank also for all the sponsors and producers for uh, making this show happen. Find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests that I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show. Uh, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com and uh, click on the Animal Rights icon, download the episodes. As, while you're there, uh, make sure you check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts on Pet Life Radio. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. That's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll do my best to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and uh, bring about the people you want to hear most onto the shows. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, maybe the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.